Welcome to the Apartment Investor Show, where we help you get smart and invest smarter in multifamily real estate. I'm your host, J.C. Castillo, founder and managing principal of the Multifamily Property Group. And joining me as always, you know him, Mr. Paul Peebles, national underwriter for Old Capital Lending. Paulie, how are you doing today? J.C., I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Well, you know, Paulie, the other day, I was reading through my email inbox and this email just jumped out of the pages and it spoke to me and it was really timely. And I had to pick up, uh, pick up the phone and call our buddy here right away and say, look, we've got to get you on a show and we have to talk about everything that you just wrote in this email because it is very important. So for all you listeners out there, anybody especially that's doing syndications, that's raising money and putting these apartment deals together, today we're going to talk to you. And we are going to talk about the top five things that you must remember when you're raising money for a syndication. And these things, I can't express how important they are. As Paulie likes to say, we want to keep all you people out of jail. So today you need to tune in for that reason alone, because I'm, I'm sure all of you probably don't want to end up in jail. Um, so we've got a really fabulous guest. Paulie, why don't we let you introduce our guest today? So I've known Mauricio for probably a number of years. I think I first met him at a real estate guy's seminar back about four or five years ago. He was up on stage and I really enjoyed what he was talking about. It uh, kind of struck a, a chord with me of uh, trying to keep people out of jail and trying to get people to, to do the, the right things about raising money. So, uh, you know, he is an attorney. He specializes in pr private placement memorandums, but he's really a friend of yours. At least he should be a friend of yours, and he's a guy that uh, is very knowledgeable about uh, putting together equity into these transactions. And so, you know, I will bring 75 to 80% of the money, and so I should be your best friend. But uh, getting the equity in, that's, the, that's really the challenge for some of these investing groups. And so uh, our friend in the, in the podcast today is, is Mauricio. So Mauricio, thanks for joining us. We appreciate that, uh, and thanks for uh, spending some time and in, in, uh, trying to keep us out of jail. So thanks. No, hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Honored to to be invited from by you guys, and looking forward to adding some value. Absolutely, Mauricio. Well, let's get right down to it. You know, I mean, people out there want to know how are they going to stay out of jail. So tell us a little bit about sort of these five ways that that you wrote about and that you're you're speaking about, and why they're so important for these syndication people to pay attention to. Yeah, so this is, you know, I'm actually starting to call this an epidemic, um, you know, and it has to do with, with when people are raising capital, raising money, put it, getting that 20% because you, your, your buddy um, Paul over here is going to get you the other 80. Um, when you bring in investors, it's very, it's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's very tempting to, to bring co-sponsors in to just raise money for you. We, we effectively call them money raisers. Um, and Back in the day, and when I, I joke back in the day, this is like two or three years ago, you know, I was seeing syndications where you had one or two people involved in the syndication, maybe three if you had somebody that was boots on the ground. But these days I'm seeing five, six, seven, ten syndicators per deal. And the only reason you have that many is because they're brought in to specifically raise the money. And people are doing it without realizing that they're violating sort of the number one rule which is you cannot pay somebody to raise money for you unless they are a licensed broker dealer. Again, you cannot pay somebody to raise money for you unless they're a licensed broker dealer. And I found that most people don't know this. It's not like they're you know, purposefully bending the rules or breaking the rules. They just don't know because I will flat out ask them, 
in our calls, hey, what is this person doing or why, do they, why are they getting 10% or 20% of the GP? And they'll just tell me they're, they're bringing in the money. And I tell them they can't do that unless they're licensed. So that's kind of the number one big thing that you've got to realize that you cannot compensate somebody for raising money unless they're a licensed broker dealer. Well, that's really important. And, you know, I think, Mauricio, you hit the nail on the head, especially when I read your email and you talked about the idea that, you know, everything is hunky-dory until there's a hitch in the, in, in the economy. And when people start losing money, uh, that's when these things really uh, come, come, to, come to bear. And so I think what's really key here is people have to understand that if you're not playing by the securities and exchange rules and the guidelines that are set in place, if something happens to the economy and if something happens to your deal, there will be a time when, when, when they will come after you and ask questions. And if you don't have your ducks in a row, it's going to be a big problem. So I think it's, it's really good timing that we're having this discussion. So let's talk about it. What's, what's a second way uh, that people should be concerned about? Well, once you realize, number one, the second thing you have to realize is the minute you pay somebody what's called transaction-based compensation, and I'll get to that in a second, but when you pay somebody transaction-based conversation, you are done. End of story, end of conversation, full stop, whatever you want to call it. That is a hallmark sign of being a broker-dealer. And transaction-based compensation simply means you're getting paid uh, based on the amount of money you're bringing in. It can be a straight commission, like, hey, I'll pay you 3% or 5%. Um, and by the way, you've got to realize we're not talking just cash, right? Compensation is compensation. So it could be shares in the company, which it typically is. So just because you're giving somebody shares of your GP, as we like to say, that doesn't mean that you're not compensating them. You just happen to compensate them in the form of GPs as opposed to cash, but it's compensation nonetheless. So when I see people saying, look, if you bring in X amount of money, I'm going to give you X percent of the GP. But if you bring in more, I'm going to give you more percentage of the GP. That's classic transaction-based compensation. And you are absolutely becoming, basically, you are acting like a broker-dealer without a license. And by the way, JC, that, that causes two problems. On the person raising the money, which, to be honest with you, I don't care as much because I usually represent the syndicator, but that person is obviously acting without a license. And just like you can't practice medicine without a license or be a lawyer without a license or be a real estate broker without a license, you can't do burger dealer. And so the penalty there is typically disgorgement. You know, you've got to return the commissions and you know, what have you. That's, that's kind of half of it. But what I'm really concerned about is the syndicator is you're not disclosing that to your investors, right? You're not disclosing the fact that you're paying somebody a commission or you're paying somebody transaction-based compensation to this individual, and therefore you are engaged in an illegal offering uh, because that was something that you absolutely should be disclosing. Let's let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, all boats have risen recently in the last, say, seven or eight years, and everybody uh, who's been in the multifamily has made money. And let's just go to the darker place. Let's say a year from now, two years from now, the economy's not so good. Uh, rents do not continue to go up on that magical staircase to the sky. <laughs> and that, uh, you need to start putting money back into the, to these properties. And you may need to have capital calls made to yep. your uh, limited partners. And it only takes is one limited partner in there to have a conversation with uh, somebody that uh, uh, put money into the deal that was maybe compensated. And so I just remember back in the early 2000s when the internet stocks busted and then everybody said, well, you put money into, you know, they sued a bunch of the broker dealers, said you put my hard earned money into these speculative transactions and I'm gonna sue you in the deal. I see a lot of these attorneys coming up here when we have a soft economy saying, 
hey, listen, I will work for free for compensation right. in the future. So I think it's a very important to set the platform correctly and not find yourself two years from now or uh, 18 months from now or even five years from now having a problem. But let's talk a little bit about what, who, who is the whistleblower in this deal? Who is, uh, is it the, uh, the, the securities firm, security uh, groups for the individual states? Are they the ones that are going to be responsible? Or is it the SEC that's going to come in and start challenging these deals? Who, who's responsible for making sure? Yeah, great question. So look, everything's, as long as everything's going great, you have that golden deal defense, everybody's happy, nobody's going to complain, everything's fine. But the minute, as you said, things start to go, they don't even have to go south. Like as you mentioned, as, as soon as rents don't increase at this pace that they're underwritten at and things, the bottom line is somebody is going to complain. That's the point where you get into trouble is an investor isn't happy, doesn't mean they're even losing money. They may just be not getting the returns that they expected. But what happens, they pick up the phone and they place a call either to the SEC or their state regulator. Now, I would expect it to be the state regulator. So the SEC, they're kind of understaffed. They're looking for Bernie Madoffs. I'm not saying the SEC wouldn't get involved, but it's most likely going to be the state. So whatever state you live in, they're going to pick up the phone. They're going to make a complaint, and that's going to open up what's called an audit. And they're going to open up a file and they're going to contact the sponsors and they're going to ask for all the documentation and they're going to start asking for names of your investors and they're going to start interviewing the investors and they're going to get to the bottom of this. And anything that they can find that you did illegally is going to come back to haunt you, whether it's raising money, money raisers or maybe it's advertising, you know, the social media thing, which is a different topic. But that's when all of this thing is going to come to fruition. And, um, you know, and trust me. The investor is not going to be on your side at this point, right? Even if oh, they're all friends of mine. But look, they've lost money. When they ask you, hey, how did how did you find out about this person? They're going to be like, hey, I, it was Johnny who recommended me, uh, and uh, that's how I found this deal. And they're and they're going to be able to track it down. And uh, from a, from a state regulator standpoint, or even the SEC, they're going to then nail you for a failure to disclose uh, and making an an illegal broker dealer payment. And, and the penalty for that, by the way, at a minimum. The penalty for that is going to be, number one, restitution. It's a rescission right of the investor. So even though it may have not even been your fault that they lost the money, it was just an economic downturn, you couldn't get a refinance, what have you, it doesn't matter. You're going to be on the hook to return the entire amount of money that you raised, uh, plus penalties. Um, and then depending on how severity, I mean, you, you do have the chance of getting some criminal, but, but most likely it's going to be a rescission. So now you're faced with, hey, I raised three million bucks or five million bucks. Now you've got to come up with five million that's all gone down the drain and you're probably looking at bankruptcy and you know not being able to raise and money. If you took again. money in from IRA accounts, you have you run the risk of ERISA problems too. That's that's a great point. Actually, I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, absolutely. You're dealing with IRA funds and that's all ERISA ERISA related, correct? So let's keep walking down and we've got number one, number two. What's number three? Number three would be just because you're not paying somebody transaction-based compensation doesn't mean you're in the clear. doesn't mean you're good. It just means you get to go to the next level of analysis, right? So you still cannot compensate someone. Well, maybe that's number four. I always get three and four in mirrors. You still cannot compensate somebody for purely raising money, right? Uh, and, that, and that's kind of number four. Just because it's not transaction-based doesn't mean you get to say, hey, I'm not paying them a commission. I'm good. You're not good. You just get to go to the next stage and enter into the next analysis, which, which we can do next. Uh, and the next analysis, I guess, let's get, let's get to it, is 
the person that's raising the money, I don't even want to say that, the person you're bringing in kind of as a co-sponsor, which is really what you're trying to do, you bring them in as a co-sponsor, they need to be a legitimate co-sponsor, okay? They cannot be just somebody that comes in and raises money. They've got to be doing everything that you are doing, underwriting, due diligence, you know, talking to the lawyers, traveling to the property, asset management, you know, everything that you are doing in that syndication world, they need to be doing a piece of it. They don't have to be doing the same amount of work, obviously. I mean, if they're only a 10% GP, then you're not expected to work the same amount or do the same amount of things, but it has to be commensurate with the amount of stuff. And under the statute that we look at, and I don't want to get too technical, but there's really two things that, the two words that pop out from the statute to me are substantial, meaning they have to be doing substantial work, and maybe more importantly, primary, meaning their primary responsibility needs to be something other than raising money. Again, any of those things that I just mentioned. If you're sitting in front of a regulator and the regulator asks you, hey, you gave Johnny or the Johnny, I see Johnny owns 10% of the GP. I didn't see any money go in there for that 10%. What did Johnny do for that 10%? Your answer cannot be he helped me raise money, right? It has to be something else. He did A, B, C, D. And not only are you telling them A, B, C, D, he actually has to have done those things, right? A lot of people get caught up in the documentation and no, he's doing A, B, C, D. When the rubber meets the road, your bur it's going to be your burden to prove that Johnny did all these things. And so you want to keep records. And, you know, again, if they're doing, look, it'd be great if you can show that they've got airplane tickets because they flew down to Oklahoma City or wherever the property is and walked the property or they worked on the spreadsheets for the, for the underwriting or whatever it is that they're doing. It's going to be your burden to prove that they did that. Such, such an interesting uh analysis here. And I think one of the things that I enjoyed Mauricio is that you also have a YouTube channel where you post content as well. And you, you actually spoke even further on this topic about people that are putting uh, sort of what we would call contracts in place to make it seem like they have uh, are putting, you know, labor into the deal aside from just bringing yeah. money. And maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Cause that, that was really yeah. interesting that I heard you speak about on the, on the video. So it's not uncommon for people to try and hide this kind of commission. I call it kind of a disguised commission. And they call it something like a consulting agreement or a marketing agreement. Like, no, 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 I wasn't, I wasn't paid to go raise money. I was paid for consulting services or marketing services. Uh, and again, the SEC doesn't care or the states don't care what you call it, what, how you structure it. They're going to look straight through that. And if you're claiming, let's take the marketing, for example, that's probably easy. Hey, if, you've got, if you're claiming that you entered into some kind of a marketing agreement and therefore the 50000 or whatever, maybe shares the GP or in exchange for those services, fine. You better have a marketing agreement in place, number one, and you better list out all the things you're doing in that marketing agreement in exchange for that compensation. And then you better be doing all those things, Right. Same with consulting agreement. You know, you're going to have to prove that you did the consulting, you know, phone records, uh, taking notes of your meetings. I mean, you're going to have to show that you actually did some consulting in exchange and it's got to be reasonable, right? I was, I was not laugh, but I always think of the, the folks who, who say, Hey, well, you're, I'm doing investor relations, for example. And you know, they end up getting paid like three, 400 grand. And I'm like, you can get an investor relations guy for like 60 grand a year. Like, why are you getting 300? That doesn't, that doesn't add up, right? It's the story has to add up. And, you know, if it's a look, I've come across legitimate marketing companies that were for a flat fee of 12, 15 grand. They will do all this work. They'll put together the business plan. They'll work your social media. They do, and they get paid 15 grand whether you raise a dime or not. It's the, it's the other thing where people are blatantly violating the law and then they're trying to somehow stick their facts within the law and they say, well, how can I couch this so it, it fits into this rule? And I think that's where you have the problem because 
they're just basically trying to get around the rules and they're trying to come up with facts to justify what they're doing when ultimately what they're doing is raising money. So it sounds like what you're, what you're basically saying is, hey, if, if two people or three people or four people are going to come together to actually do a syndication, then they really need to have a legitimate role in the deal. If we, if we, you know, we talked about the five things to watch out for to keep yourself out of jail, but on the flip side, what you really want to do is you want to form a real partnership, a true partnership where everybody is pulling their weight and doing real stuff for a syndication. And that's really the way to go with these types of things, right? Yeah. And, and it's all, you know, unfortunately it's all what we call facts and circumstances, right? There's no black and white answer. And so you're kind of looking at all the facts that are in your favor, but, but let me, this will be a good example on real quick here. I'll give me 20 seconds here. If let's say you and you and um, you and your partner are, are doing a syndication together and you're doing every single deal together, kind of you're doing three or four of these syndications over the next couple of years together. That's one thing, right? But if you've got one money raiser who's doing seven different sponsors and they do, they go to one sponsorship team and they raise money and they go to another one, another one, they end up with seven different sponsorship. That's, that's a different set of facts, right? And that's not something that's going to look good when, you know, they're coming in just for one deal. They just happen to raise most of the money and then they're on to the next syndication group and raising money for somebody else. And so these are all facts and circumstances, which is really why you want to be working with an attorney who understands this and can kind of weigh those positive and negative facts and then come with, come to determination whether what they're doing really is sufficient enough to, to be considered a genuine and a legitimate co-sponsor in your deal. Can we uh, just pull out a little bit uh, and talk about advertising? I mean, I go into Facebook or I go on to um, LinkedIn and I tell you, every syndicator is out there preaching their next deal that's coming out. And of course, in the fine print, and only accredited investors should uh, <laughs> open up this. Should, this should see, yeah, hide your eyes if you're not an yeah, accredited investor. Hide your investor. eyes if you're not an accredited investor. <laughs> I, I think that's the wackiest thing. And, and I'm like, how, how is that legal to, to do something like that? I mean, yeah. I, so what, what's your two cents on that? It's not. Um, assuming they're real, it, it all depends on what exemption you're relying on. Obviously, we didn't get a chance to get into that. But if your yeah. exemption prohibits advertising, most, most of the syndicators out here are doing what we call a 506B is in boy, and that prohibits advertising. And social media is an advertising platform. So is your website, by the way. Your website's being blasted to the world unless it's password protected. So if you're doing a 506B, you cannot really use social media. And this has also become kind of my second epidemic. So right behind raising money for others, it's advertising on social media. I actually ended up putting a, a social media video series on this because it was another thing. But I basically put it into buckets and I said, look, you clearly cannot advertise your deal. And I think most people understand that. But what most people don't understand is that you, the definition of an offer and advertising is really broad. And it includes what's called conditioning the market. So anytime you're on Facebook drumming up excitement about your deal, even if you're not talking about it specifically, just getting excited, talking about your past returns or how awesome your, you know, this building is, even though you're not talking about the offering, that's going to be considered or potentially, and I think those will be considered advertising and you would be in violation of your 506B exemption, which means you can't rely on that exemption anymore. So you better find a new exemption. And if you can't, You've, you've done an illegal offering because you haven't registered your syndication. So the, the way I, my brain works, I like to compartmentalize it. And so what I did in this video thing I did is, is I said, look, these are clearly the things you can do. Here are clearly the things you cannot do. And then the middle is always the gray area, you know, in terms of kind of like maybe, maybe not. And, but my, my the, the gist of it or the sort of my, my conclusion on all this is I would stay away from social media 
other than pure, pure educational value add stuff, right? I mean, if you want to go on there and put a report together as to, you know, why real estate is the greatest wealth vehicle in the, in the history of mankind, and in exchange for that report that has nothing to do with your stuff, you get an email address, an email contact from that, great. If you want to talk about why, you know, Dallas, Texas is the greatest market to go into and you do a report on that, that's great. But keep in mind, next step, you can't go out and then solicit those investors right away. You have to establish what's called a substantive pre-existing relationship with them. And that's another five, seven steps that maybe some of the time we can go through. But there's a step-by-step -step process that you need to follow to go from a complete stranger that you've obtained them from social media legally all the way to establishing a substantive relationship with them, at which point you can offer them a future deal because you have to have a pre-existing substantive relationship. And that means pre-existing the offer. So what I like about Mauricio is because he's an attorney, he can help you. And I think he can go over your uh, social media uh, websites and go over some of the, the marketing materials, collateral that you've built and tell you this is good, this is not good, don't do this under the theme of keeping you out of jail. So I know that's one of the services that you do. So. Uh, I know that a lot of people are very appreciative about the, how you step up and you definitely help some of these general partners and especially helping up with the limited partners about, you know, over disclosing uh, always helps and it doesn't get people into to jail. Yeah, absolutely. Happy absolutely. To and Mauricio, if people want to get a hold of you, because I completely agree with Paul and, and that's the reason we have you on here because you are an expert at what you do. I mean, how can somebody reach out if they want to talk to you and get support from you on the uh, on these on these types of things? You know, since we there's a, several ways you can get a hold of me, but since you mentioned the social media stuff, if you want to email me at social at premierlawgroup.net, social at premierlawgroup.net, not only will you get a hold of me, but I'll also kind of automatically send you this this five part video series I did on you know how to use social media to to raise money legally. So that's probably a good way to get a hold of me, given the topic we just discussed today. Well, that, that is awesome. That's great. Now, JC, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do it? And, and let people know, what, what do you do? What do we do? Well, we, first of all, we have fun with our, our video podcast here, and we love to educate people. Well, you know, uh, our company, Multifamily Property Group, we've been around since 2006. And, and we have literally been helping investors uh, make smart multifamily decisions for the last 13 years. We've bought and sold a ton of multifamily properties over the lifetime of the company. And uh, we are always willing and, and able to sit down with anybody for a free 15 minute consultation if they want to know anything about uh, investing. So uh, we encourage people to reach out to us They can go to our website, multifamilypropertygroup.com. Again, multifamilypropertygroup.com. They can go to the contact us page and they can click on consultation and we would be happy to have a consultation. That's great. And so if you want to see Mauricio more, I think we'll have him on in a future podcast. But if you can't wait, come to Texas. Come to the Old Capital Multifamily Conference, October 24th and 25th. Uh, we're fortunate that uh, Mauricio made some time in his schedule to come to Texas to spend some time with you. So make sure that uh, you get him on your calendar to pull him away just for a few minutes to to build a relationship with Mauricio because if you're thinking about raising money, you want to do it the right way and you want, you need some help. But this is not what you do. You're an engineer. You're uh, you do, you do something else, but this is not what you do. You want to learn from the experts and keep yourself out of, of jail. So uh, go to the old capital podcast.com, old capital podcast.com and reserve your 
opportunity to come to Texas and see us October 24th and 25th. So we appreciate that. Uh, Mauricio, thanks for coming in the podcast. We appreciate that. JC, always a pleasure. I'm Paul Peebles. Have a great day. Take care.